Hey guys, welcome to our podcast at the Clemson Foothills Church. We're glad you're here. Join us as we discover what the Bible says about Jesus loving God and serving each other. Feel free to visit our website at clemsonfoothills.com and find us on Facebook at Clemson Foothills Church. At CFC, we're just a group of people following Jesus and helping others do the same. So hopefully this podcast will be useful to you. Now let's dive into the episode for this week. We are getting so close to the, to, to the 21st day of our 21-day fast. We're 14 days in. We've got one more week to go. I hope it's, I hope it's been something that has been encouraging. Um, I hope it's been something that's been um, revelatory, right? That something's been revealed to us. Hopefully it's been a time of even resetting our, our, our own clocks a little bit, and resetting our own pace of life. And I hope that that's been one of the things that have come from this. We're going to zero in. So we talked a little bit a few weeks ago about just the condition of our soul. Right? Like how, how is your soul? And so it's just, listen, I, it would be fantastic if life was so static. That we got something and it just stayed great forever. Like our, our once our hearts got right and our soul was was all fixed up and beautiful, it would be great if life just just it stayed static, except it doesn't happen that way, right? I mean, there is there's ups and downs, there are things that happen that you wonder why are those things happening? Like why on earth there's there, there's just time that happens that when we're unintentional and that that, that seems to be the way of our world now. It's the idea we just lose our focus on things. And, and, then, and then we have these moments where we kind of wake up and we realize, man, my soul is kind of in tatters a little bit. You know, it's kind of like stretched and, and it's got some holes in it and it needs some mending, right? And so um, we've looked at those things and we've, me specifically, have kind of injected a little bit of my own study and what is this thing about joy? Like, what is this thing about a healthy soul being expressed in joy? And, and, and I had a really interesting experience these past couple of weeks. I'm reading the Psalms right now, and I'm reading them at like a pretty large chunk at a time. Right? And, and something's occurring to me as I'm reading like large chunks of the Psalms is, man, life in, in the times of David and these other authors of the Psalms, like oftentimes these Psalms were written out of just a somber time in life. I always recognize that there are these Psalms when you would hear about, you know, God, how long will you be angry with us? And how long will you not hear us? And how long will that be? And, and then as I'm kind of going through it, I'm realizing that so many of the Psalms have this kind of same somber undertone. And thankfully, like the, the writer, the author gets to a place of faith and health and 
all of these things, but it's really been fascinating because it's highlighted to me how oftentimes our lives, even over a stretch of time, can be can, can be seen as like there's somber circumstances that happen, right? That it isn't always a party, that it isn't always like this spectacular good news in every around every corner. Like as life happens, that's what we see, and it's made it honestly, it's made me more intrigued about this idea of joy. As I shared with you last week, there's an immense number of scriptures commanding joy, rejoicing, and praising, and being glad. There's any number of words that are used about being joyful. And so in all of these things, it's kind of become more intriguing, like, oh man, how on earth is this supposed to be expressed? Oftentimes in, in, in spaces of life where we can find ourselves a little bit like, man, what's going on? What's, what's happening? Why, is, why, does these, why does it seem heavy at times, right? And so we've looked at that, and I wanted us to zero in right here in this passage in Hebrews 12, because as I studied it out, I was reminded, man, this is a little package of hidden joy. And I'll explain why that is, okay? But I want us to go ahead and read this, and we're going to read uh, Hebrews 12, verse 1. I'm going to read through verse 13, so you can follow along. So the writer of Hebrews says, Therefore, and again, we all know what that therefore is coming from, is from Hebrews 11, right? Of all of these incredible stories of faith, and all of these men and women who persevered. Therefore, since we... Also have such a large crowd of witnesses surrounding us. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that lay before him endured a cross and despised the shame and has sat down at the right hand of God's throne. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, so that you won't grow weary and lose heart. In struggling against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And you have forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons. My son, don't take the Lord's discipline lightly. Or faint when you are approved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and punishes every son he receives. Endure suffering as discipline. God is dealing with you as sons. For what son is there that a father does not discipline? But if you're without discipline, which all receive, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had natural fathers discipline us and we respected them. Shouldn't we submit even more to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time based on what seemed good to them. But he does it for our benefit so that we can share in his holiness. No discipline seems enjoyable at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it yields the fruit of peace and righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your tired hands and weakened knees and make straight paths for your feet 
so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but healed instead, okay? So let's take a look and pay attention to a few different things, okay? Is um, I'm actually going to probably go back a little bit on a lot of things that I've said in the, in, in the past, okay? Not, not entirely, but this is what I mean by this. Um, there, there, are, there are three things. There are two sections here that give us an idea of the past, the present, and the future, right? And all three of those things are valuable for us to understand this passage. Now, as I've shared before, when we, we get ourselves in trouble, when we are looking back on the past and feeling like we want to change things that we can't change and we get kind of locked up and we're so far into the future that we're like full of anxiety and worry, okay? This is different here, what the Hebrew writer is saying. He's actually going to walk us through these three phases, past, present, and future, and share, like, why is this a healthy thing, and where can we find this hidden joy in this passage? Because there's a lot of discipline in this passage. There's a lot of language like, you know, uh, things not being enjoyable and suffering and all of these words, okay? And so there's actually two sections. And the first section right here is going to be these first couple of verses. And so we have here, therefore, since we have uh, such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us. And let's run with endurance the race that lies before us keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that lay before him endured a cross and despised the shame and has sat down at the right hand of God's throne. And so there's, there's some practicality here for us, okay, from this writer. And he starts out right from the beginning. Therefore, since we have such a large crowd, cloud of witnesses surrounding us, since these brothers and sisters historically in the past who have lived already, who have lived these incredibly faithful lives. Like that's one of the things that me and you are called to do is remembering and there is an immense and amazing and incredible history we have in God. We have one chapter here in Hebrews 11, right? And this is the specific context. He's like, hey, since all of these, like paying attention to all those who have come, who, who've suffered, who've overcome, all of that. But this was a pretty common thing just in, uh, among the culture of itself right here, of like learning how do we remember the past in a way that's good and healthy, and good and healthy. Turn over to Psalm chapter 78, okay? I'm gonna give you an example here. Psalm 78, here's what we have. We have this, um, this incredible psalm, and the entirety of the psalm is for a simple purpose, is remember how God has worked powerfully. Psalm 78, verse 1, we're not going to read the entire psalm. Psalm 78, verse 1, my people hear my instruction and listen to what I say. I will declare wise sayings and speak mysteries from the past, things we have heard and known that our fathers have passed down to us. 
We must not hide them from their children, but must tell a future generation the praises of the Lord, his might and the wonderful works he has performed. He established a testimony in Jacob and set up a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach their children so that a future generation, children yet to be born, might know. They were to rise and tell their children so they might put their confidence in God and not forget God's works, but keep his commands. Then they would not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not loyal, whose spirit was not faithful to God. Right? You have this entirety, but you have a number of Psalms, but this, this comes up fairly often is remember God's ways. Can you remember the power that God has worked in your own life? Can you remember the times? Can you remember back just even historically? I mean, this is going all the way back to David and his time and how, how powerful it is when there's, a, when there's a time of whether it's just feeling somber or feeling like, man, I'm not certain what's going on or why things are happening this way. Right? There, there's this tradition of going back to the past and remembering how have I seen God work? What has he done? And meditating on these things, right? And so that since we have such a large cloud of witnesses, what do we do in the present? Lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us so that we can run with endurance the race that lies before us. Right? Like the life we have in front of us, this race we have before us, he's like, yes, there's this practicality of remembering all God has done. And then in the here and now, lay aside every hindrance and every sin that entangles us. Laying aside all of these things, okay? And so the question for us, the, the text kind of begs us to ask the question, like, well, what are those things in me? Like, that's what it's, it's asking us to go, man, do I know what these are? What is hindering me? What is the sin that so easily is entangled? And everybody is a little bit different, okay? There's a couple of things I would share, though, okay, is is relationships tends to, tend to be the thing, okay? And it's not just relationships with people, right? There's really two things here when we're considering sin or hindrances. Is It's worth us, I think, examining what are my relationships like with people? All right, I mean, we live in a world where, yeah, we, we may have relationships in our life, and we've got to ask ourselves, man, is this relationship freeing me up to love God more? Is the relationship I share with people freeing me up or hindering me and making it more difficult? Bringing me into temptation, bringing me into sin is like my relationship with people, are they encouraging me to die to myself so I can live for Christ? Or are my relationships stirring up a cynicism in me? All right, that, and that's one of those things. It's not as cut and dry as 
so, uh, you know, we're not we're not just talking about the relationship with somebody that is like luring us into to a life of sin necessarily, but relationships with others that foster cynicism to being apprentices of Jesus, or that foster bitterness towards others, towards my brother, foster a, a, a kind of pride even, right? I mean, that's, that's what ends up happening is like we can be with people and they can like fan into a sense of pride like, man, we're so smart and everybody else is so stupid. Right? That's a sin and a hindrance. So really, I'm asking us to examine relationships on two levels relationships with people and our relationship with technology. Just those two levels to begin with, okay? Because again, the technology, the idea of like what we carry right here is so, I mean, we have so much right here that is drawing us in. And we've got to examine this. It isn't just about social media. It, it isn't. But it's the idea of, man, what is my relationship with? With technology, and is my relationship with technology one that's bringing me closer, freeing me up, or does it become a hindrance? Does it become something that I hide behind? Something that I'm like, when I'm uncomfortable, I go here, right? It's in the present moment, all right, of taking an appraisal of, man, what is it about me that's sinful or what's hindering me? Keeping our eyes on Jesus, all right? That's the that, that's that's one of those simple things the Bible teaches us. We're going, man. How do we how do we overcome? How do we grow? How do we like let messages sink to our heart? We have these little nuggets here of fix our eyes on Jesus, the Author and Perfecter of our faith. Like fix our eyes on Him, right? Is is being connected? thoughtful, fixing our eyes on him, not on what we're seeing in the world, okay? So he says, this is what you do in the present. Who for the joy that lay before him endured a cross and despised the shame and has sat down at the right hand of God's throne. All right, where you see Jesus with this kind of deferred joy almost is because the joy that lay ahead of him he endured the cross. We have this past, this present, and this future. This idea of, yes, there are things to, that, that can be done now, but also a mindset of the joy that lay ahead. And to, and to contemplate that idea of going, oh my goodness, man. I mean, this is what Jesus, uh, th this is what he did. He was able to endure the cross for what reason? For the joy that lay before him. For the joy that comes next, there's an interesting thing that kept coming into my mind. There's there's an, an ultimate like future, like later. But here's the interesting thing also is this idea of deferred joy for the joy set before us or the joy that lays before us. Okay, here's an interesting principle. Tomorrow isn't today. And, and, and there's a there's a pessimism in all of us that go, yeah, it could be worse. Okay, that's what came into your mind when I said that. Yeah, it might be bad today, but it's going to be worse tomorrow. No, 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 no. Is seasons change. Life isn't static. 
All right, where you are today isn't going to be where you are tomorrow. Okay, and there's a lot that goes into that, but tomorrow's not today. But think about from Jesus' perspective, for the joy that lay before him. Turn over to Revelation 21. And, uh, and let's just take a quick look right here. In Revelation 21, verse 5, uh, verse 1, uh, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Right? I mean, here's the interesting thing uh, is... We'll, we'll see this happen. All right? This isn't just a sci-fi show. Like, we'll see this happening, right? Can you imagine what that will be like? Not, not what it may be like, but what it will be like. Right? Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth passed away. The sea no longer existed. I saw the holy city and new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. And then I heard a loud voice from the throne, look, God's dwelling is with humanity. And he'll live with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God and he'll wipe away every tear from their eye and death won't ever exist and grief and crying and pain will exist no longer because the previous things have passed away. And the one seated on the throne says, look, I'm making everything new. Right, that, that should be, I mean, it, it takes a minute for that to sink in, but I'm recognizing this as I'm studying this and going, oh man, this is really, really crazy because it takes us into a realm of like what it seems that Christ followers understood is that regardless of circumstances, there can be joy. Like they understood this and we're getting an idea of, well, how could this be? Well, there's a past and there's a present and there's a future. Right? And all of these things working together, right? Kind of weather the storms, whether they're somber or tragic or painful or whatever they are, or celebratory, whatever it is, okay? Is we get this idea here. And then verse from Hebrews 12 again, verses 3 through 12 gives us the same pattern of past, present, and future, okay? Because it says here in verse 3 consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself so you won't grow weary so again what's the same piece of consider him like look back on what's happened consider him who endured such hostility okay that word is interesting because it's consider or contemplate or ponder right it's this idea of yeah like it isn't just enough to believe Jesus and to kind of know he was a real person, but we're given this practicality here of contemplating Jesus. Ask the question, like, how did he do it? How did he make it through? How, how did he live this life, right? In Luke 23, verse 34, one of the most profound sayings in all of Scripture is when Jesus is hanging from a cross and he says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Right? That's not just something that happened in history to evoke an emotion. It's meant for us to go, man, how did he do that? Like, I need to ponder what was it in him that came out at that moment sounding like that. 
Because he had faced his share of heartache, and he had faced his share of, of sadness, and he had faced his share of challenge and all of these things. And it were meant to not just have an answer that pops up, but that we consider enough. You know, consider him who endured these things so you won't grow weary and lose heart. I feel like in our community right here, that, that has been like the last little bit of time. I think a lot of us have experienced just where it's, you just feel weary and, and sometimes kind of sad, whether it's, you know, a, a foot injury or a brain injury or some stinky, you know, bacteria that like messes with you or, you know, COVIDs and colds and flus and just when you think you're kind of out of one, you get walloped with the other thing. Or if you have children, it's like, you know, you're just kind of looking around. It's funny, we were talking and I said, man, you know, Abby was saying, feel like I look at my phone and like all the time we're getting messages like, hey, pray for this person because this has happened or pray for that because that's happened or, and not even just from a health perspective, but marriages and all of these different things, right? You can just feel heavy. And this passage again, he says, well, how do we navigate this? Well, consider him who endured such hostility, right? And not, here's the other side of it that we don't give in to, right? Just like the drama of our day. That we don't get into that narrative of, man, it's so bad and so terrible and so horrific and so, like, like there's the, the truth of it, but then there's the idea, but this, key, this allows us not to give into that. All right? He says, in your struggle against sin, you haven't resisted to the point of shedding blood. And he said to the original hearers, you've forgotten this exhortation, okay? And there's this, this little section here. My son, don't take the Lord's discipline lightly or faint when you're reproved by him. And it's a mixture of a few different Old Testament passages, okay? Was, actually, there's, there's uh, Proverbs 3 that's like right off the bat right there. Don't take the Lord's discipline lightly. But there's Job and there's a psalm, okay? And both Job and the psalm, uh, it's interesting. How happy is the man who the Lord disciplines? Right? This is Job chapter 5. Eliphaz was the one that said it. So when we're all getting up on Eliphaz for not saying the right thing, he says something good. Okay? Is how happy is the man? That, that perked my ears up. Because I'm going, it doesn't say anything in this section about being happy. But he connects Proverbs 3 and he connects Psalm 94 and Job 5. How happy is the man who the Lord disciplines? All right, there's this aspect here. Uh, don't forget about this. Endure suffering as discipline. When? Here and now. God is dealing with you as sons. What son is there that a father doesn't discipline? And we've gone through all of those kind of things there, okay? Here's the interesting thing is he said there's a purpose behind this. All right? And, and when things, and you can never, listen, anytime we talk about hardship or suffering or pain or, or 
anything like there's no way to do it complete justice right because there are there are tragedies and pain and sadness that can't fully be expressed okay and so there's no way that we can possibly like give credit to everything and we don't want to come across as just calloused like why is this so hard it shouldn't be that hard it's, it's interesting though that the Hebrew writer doesn't fall all over himself to explain that. He doesn't fall all over himself to go, yeah, I know yours might be worse than yours and yours might be worse than hers and his and you, I get it, it's not easy. It's just face value right here, okay? Endure suffering as discipline. He's dealing with you as sons. There's a purpose behind it so that we can share verse 10 in his holiness. No discipline seems enjoyable, uh, but painful. Later on, however, it yields the fruit of peace and righteousness to those who've been trained by it. And so, again, there are these times we read scripture. We're meant to, to they, we're asked, we're supposed to ask ourselves a question. What is he training in me? Right? It's not, it's not enough to just say, oh, I know the fact that you know, peace and righteousness comes to those who've been trained by enduring their suffering. That's a great fact. But unless we ask ourselves the question of going, what's he teaching me? Like, what is he teaching me here? And why is happy is the man who the Lord disciplines? What is this all about? And so I wonder how often we stop and ask ourselves that question. And it's not an easy question to ask. All right, and it won't, and, and, and we can't get frustrated when there's not an immediate answer, like that God just comes down and gives us this answer. Sometimes, and I really appreciate this, I spent some time with Patrick this week, and one of the things he shared about just all of the turmoil in their own home. And, and he said, You want to know what? Here's what I've come to the conclusion of. Man, we need to keep walking ahead faithfully. Like, we need to meet what's in front of us faithfully. Right? We don't need to pull back. We don't need to like, you know, hoard our money. We don't need to like hoard our time. We need to move ahead faithfully. And I thought, that's the answer right there. That's the answer without there being some specific thing of just going, yeah, okay, I'm going to endure suffering as discipline and I want to be trained by it. And I may not know exactly what the specific topic is, but I do know that I can move ahead and take whatever's coming my way faithfully. Oh, that was good. That was good stuff right there. Okay. To those who've been trained by it. Okay. And here's the interesting thing. That is the later. That is the future. Okay. So we have this, hey, don't forget about the past. Don't forget what was written in the past. Don't forget to ponder and consider Jesus. Don't forget to remember what the writers of our scriptures long ago shared about the discipline of the Lord. Don't forget about those things as you endure keeping in mind that we're being trained by it because later, and, and this is the big money right here, okay? He said, later on, it yields the fruit of peace and righteousness. And that actually means for the here and now. That's not just a all the way like, yeah, I, you know, when Jesus comes back, it'll be like that. No, actually, like for the here and now. Tomorrow isn't today, right? Next week is not like today or next month, or whatever. But this idea of this promise of later it yields, what does? is enduring suffering as discipline. 
and remembering and keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus and pondering Jesus and throwing off all of the sin, all of the hindrances and walking faithfully and all these things. And this is the promise that yields the fruit of peace and righteousness. Right? If, if there is like synonyms that describe joy, it's peace and righteousness. Right there, okay? Let's close it up, Isaiah 32. Okay, we're going to jump, taking that point right here, and we're going to jump back here, Isaiah 32, and we're going to finish up with this. Isaiah 32. As Isaiah is, is announcing this new kingdom in verse uh, we'll, we'll jump up here to, um, we'll, we'll break right into verse 16. Justice will inhabit the wilderness. Nah, we'll, we'll jump up further. We got it. Look at verse 9. Stand up, you complacent women, and listen to me. Pay attention to what I say, you overconfident daughters. In a little more than a year, your overconfidence Confident ones will shudder, for the vintage will fail, the harvest will not come. Shudder, you complacent ones. Tremble, you overconfident ones. Strip yourself bare and put on sackcloth. Right? It's, it, again, it's this call of like, hey, take an, a, a clue of what's going on here, okay? And throw off the sin and throw off the hindrances. Beat your breasts in mourning for the delightful fields and the fruitful vines. For the ground of my people growing thorns and briars, indeed, for every joyous house in the joyful city. For the palace will be forsaken, the busy city abandoned, the hill and the watchtower will become barren places forever. The joy of wild donkeys and a pasture for flocks until the spirit from heaven is poured out on us. Then the desert will become an orchard and the orchard will seem like a forest and justice will inhabit the wilderness and righteousness will dwell in the orchard. The result of righteousness will be peace and the effect of righteousness will be quiet confidence forever. All right, that's quite a turnaround there, right? He's like, hey, nothing you have is going right. Everything is going wrong. Like, take a look at how you're living and what you're doing. Change these things, and the Spirit from heaven will be poured out on us. And it comes that the result of righteousness will be peace, and the effect of righteousness will be quiet confidence forever. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to learn more about us or have any questions, please visit ClemsonFoothills.com. You can also text Foothills to 94000 to stay up to date on everything going on here at CFC. 